BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125 and the Bauer and Rose podcast for those. Um, ha- how shall we put this, Gary, under the age of uh, 70 who know what that means? We are on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, hit the subscribe button. Give us a Give us a high rating. Recommend us to your friends. And many thanks because we are hosted by our good friends, uh, John Solomon at JustTheNews.com, a terrific site. I am uh, laboriously extending the intro today because Bauer Bauer just didn't feel like coming into work today. And he's uh, at home on his couch watching TV. Yeah, so you just lost two-thirds of our audience, Tom, uh, because they think I'm not on the show. I'm on the show, folks, but I sound weird because uh, uh, everybody in my household is computer-challenged, and we couldn't get this thing hooked up right. So I'm literally calling into the show today. I'm going to you know, be a guest, I guess, and you know how Tom treats guests. I mean, he'll probably you know cut me off uh, multiple times, but... But I'll do my best. By, by the way, Tom, when you were running down all the things we're on, uh, I heard Larry Kudlow the other day. He's getting a new podcast, and he was saying on Fox, yeah, I'm on this and on that, and I'm on this, this, and I, I, I'm just going to be run on that and also on this. And then he paused, and he goes, I have no idea what any of those things are, but I'm going to look <laughs> into it and find out. <laughs> well, you are back. I will – um by way of an advisory, uh, Gary is under the weather. Gary took his family on a magnificent trip to Normandy and to Paris a uh, week before last, uh, came back, and they all have COVID. Well, uh, Carol and I have it, and another um, another couple folks in the family down in Atlanta have it. Uh, I, no, nobody's feeling great, uh, but... Um, uh, th- I have to say, Tom, this actually feels worse than the first time. You know, I've had, so, right. I've had it now. I will proceed to hijack the show. Um, I can one up you. Actually, I can two up you. I've had it four times. And the first time I got it was uh, di- uh, confirmed positive test on March 15, 2020. Now, that may ring a bell with some of our listeners in terms of the timeline I was White House patient zero. I was the very first person in the White House to get it. And of course, when everyone found out that I got it, it's of course, they're rolling their eyes. Of course, it's Rose. Of course, I mean, who else would be the first person to get it? And I very, very foolishly, this is the very same day that Vice President Pence announced the 15 days to slow the spread, which of course has now turned into 1500 years to slow the spread. Um, I came to work that day. I mean, this is, I'll cut myself some slack here because this was at the very, very beginning. We didn't really know much. I, like an idiot, went to work. And when I had to confess to 
our chief of staff and subsequently the vice president, um, that I did get a positive test and I wasn't feeling well. Uh, Secret Service escorted me out of the building. The vice president was absolutely livid with me. I mean, just furious. And um, he got over it. But I wasn't that sick that time. I got it again. The th- The third time I got it, I was really sick. And that was kind of bizarre because I've had, you know, 26 vaccines or whatever all that stuff is. But you sound okay. Yeah, um, I've, you know, I've had a fever. Um, I, um, I, well, I should, I'm sure people are on the edge of their seats. So, so uh, I'll, I'll try to give a urine sample here over the phone, but I don't think it's going to be that appreciated. No, I just have a lot of uh, indications of, you know, uh, not being well right now. But um, hopefully life goes on. And uh, I'm more concerned about quite frankly, and I'm not being trying to be funny, Tom, I'm more concerned about the death of America and the deaths of uh, Western civilization or Judeo-Christian civilization. I know that's not the way to talk on uh, uh, Palm Friday, on Easter weekend. But, um, you know, we, we always say in the Christian faith, he is he is risen. He is risen. Indeed, I, I'm just hoping and praying that America and the Western civilization uh, can rise uh, in, in the future, because, uh, on, on every measurement, we are dropping like a rock. Well, let me, let me make sure that whatever positive, optimistic feeling you have is now completely eviscerated. Yesterday, Gary, the White House released, uh, what it calls an after action analysis. I spent four years in the White House. You spent eight years in the White House. You know, as well as I know, <laughs> that when White Houses screw up, they spend more time uh, producing documents to cover their rear ends than they do trying to learn from the mistakes. This one takes the cake. It's a 12-page gaslight about the Afghan withdrawal. What's the um, expression, lies, damned lies, and statistics? Well, here, it's lies, damned lies, and, of course, blaming Donald Trump. The report at the same time that it calls our disastrous with our shameful withdrawal as a great success, it then blames Trump for the shortcomings that led to the debacle, which they call a success. This is the same Donald Trump, mind you, Gary, that presided over the previous 18 months of an American presence in Afghanistan during which we suffered, thank God, not a single casualty. Remember, Joe Biden ran for president, promising to be the adult in the White House. He said he rejected this deal that Pompeo tried to reach with the Taliban, which, of course, was was a problem fraud. It was designed to protect uh, our assets as we departed the country. He immediately repudiates that, which gives the Taliban the opportunity to, to repudiate that. And then um, he he uh, blames Donald Trump for decisions that accelerated that country's descent into mayhem. Remember, the president uh, withdrew all air support from our Afghan allies. Uh, They needed to fight, and then he condemned them 
uh, for not for, for, for being cowards. Now, who, pray tell Gary, was the coward here? He abandons a multi-billion dollar Bagram Air Base, incredibly uh, strategically important, without notice, leaves $80 billion in U.S. military equipment there uh, for the Taliban and for whoever else seeks to take advantage of all of our um, uh, all of our investment in that country without notice. They go to bed one night, they wake up the next morning, and we are gone, totally gone. We abandon a multi-billion dollar air base. Total fake absolute history makes no mention whatsoever of how this pathetic withdrawal led to huge world disorder. I mean, Gary, do you think that our allies respect us more and trust us more after this despicable withdrawal, or our enemies fear us more. It's it's just the thing was was I read it and my jaw dropped. Yeah, well, you know, uh, when you get to you going into Good Friday and Easter, and you've got Passover, and all you know, all these uh, major faiths in the world are focusing on God and so forth. Um, uh, I, I should have known, we all should have known, Tom, that the, the Biden administration would launch uh, an, an incredible attack on truth on on that weekend, on this weekend. I mean, they were releasing stuff going into last night uh, like it was the last day they had on Earth. Uh, and everything they did was to advance a, a radical left agenda, a failed foreign policy. I mean, to me, Tom, it looked like uh, a week or a week day that should have been paid for by the Biden campaign because everything they were doing was campaign work. This reason he's not, by the way, announcing he's running because then he would have to be a little bit more careful about these things. But what they're doing, I mean, this is a major issue, as you recall, Tom, but maybe not everybody listening does. It was this fiasco that caused a pretty quick follow-up, a nearly 20-point drop in Biden's approval ratings. I mean, he had done a bunch of dumb stuff before then, but he still had that sort of new president glow, or maybe that was just high blood pressure. I'm not sure. But at any rate, once this fiasco was seen by the American people, he dropped like a rock, and he has basically stayed there. Now, it didn't hurt them in the congressional elections, but his name wasn't on the ballot. So we'll see what happens uh, when his name is on the ballot. But uh, look, you, you, you mentioned, though, what do our allies think? What do our enemies think? There's a third thing to, to ask here, Tom, because I, I think it goes right to – uh, the expectations of conservatives who are strong on national defense. The experience of America in Afghanistan and Iraq, there's the overall experience of the overwhelming majority of the American people, which is they watch these wars in the media. They watch the reports on successes and failures uh, and they followed it all uh, in the front page or on the TV set. Then there are the several million families that uh, experienced it firsthand. They they had sons and daughters that served in theater and 
uh, Afghanistan or Iraq and uh, or in the military generally during those times. And that long experience from the aftermath of 9-11 until just a year or so ago, an experience that resulted in unimaginable expenditures from the National Treasury, uh, an experience that showed uh, every day that once again, America was not prepared to actually win wars. They were prepared to fight politically correct wars and try to build democracies in thin soil indeed. And all of that together, Tom, has made us financially weaker and has sapped the enthusiasm or willingness of the American people to continue the foreign policy we have been following since the end of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. There's no stomach for it anymore. I'm sorry. Party, we keep acting like there is a stomach for it, that this is what people want to hear. And second of all, we mindlessly, in my view, keep trying to push Biden to do things in foreign affairs and foreign policy, which may make sense if he were Ronald Reagan, because he would knew, know what the second thing would be to do. <laughs> this after this this after action. But I got I got to interrupt you because there's something in this 12 page report that they released late on a Thursday night before a holiday weekend, congratulating themselves on the greatest military humiliation in American history. They actually go so far as to say that the lesson of this withdrawal taught us that um, two weeks before Putin invades Ukraine taught us the great lesson that we have to get all of our military, civilian, and diplomatic personnel out of the way of a country that's under threat. So two weeks before Putin invades Ukraine, Biden withdraws our diplomatic personnel, our military personnel that primarily worked at the embassy, and our civilian NGO people. Now, what message did that send to Vladimir Putin that we cut and run before he even invaded? I was on a call this week. I'm ashamed to admit it. I was on a call this week. Uh, a bunch of folks in the uh, so-called Ukraine contact group, you and I, um, our differences on Ukraine, I think, are shrinking somewhat. The This was a conversation, and I was on mute. I wasn't allowed to participate, and my uh, uh, reasons, uh, my interest, my beliefs, my opinions probably weren't welcome. This was a conversation, a lot of, you know, leading foreign policy lights about winning the war, winning the war, winning the war. There was no discussion about, okay, let's say we win the war. How do we win, then win the peace? You and I can go back 50, 55 years and find out and discover that in the last, last half century, Gary, we're good at winning wars, but we have never once won the peace. We won the war in Vietnam. We lost the peace. We won the war in Iraq. We lost the peace. Afghanistan lost the peace. Syria, Libya, it goes on and on and on. Now, 
um, in wars, lots of things can happen. One side wins, the other side loses. There can be an insurgency. Another way is a war of attrition. That's probably where we are in Ukraine now. But make no mistake, a war of attrition isn't necessarily a stalemate. The lines might be holding, but Russians are killing and being killed. Ukrainians are killing and being killed. There is no discussion whatsoever about how to win the peace. I heard, and this was a um, uh, a, a very eminent, highly respected. Well, you probably think he's a jerk, but I happen to like the guy talking about what what what, what war aims were. Again, I was muted, so I couldn't jump in. And he says, "Well, um, our war aims have to mirror Ukraine's war aims." Now, if I were a Ukrainian and my country were invaded, I'm totally with him. I get it. Their war aims are the complete expulsion of Russian troops from every inch of internationally recognized Ukrainian territory, A. B, reparations for all the damage that the war has caused Ukraine. And C, war crimes trials for a President Putin, Putin and his generals. And if I wasn't on mute, I would have hit the unmute button and said, um, so does that mean we're now marching on Moscow? I mean, how in the world... Are those realistic in the world in which we live? War aims. Again, if I were Ukrainian, I'd be all in. That'd be, but we're not Ukraine. We're the United States. We have global responsibilities, global accountabilities. And at some point, we're going to have to begin to think about not only how the war ends, but how peace is sustained and maintained. We're not good at winning the peace, Gary. We're just not. Well, that's that's a great that's a great analysis, Tom. Um, but but you know what? Uh, be what it is. Um, what does that mean for today? Well, I mean, this is why I think we are in just huge trouble. You, you know, by any other nation, following the economic policies we're facing and having the kind of deficit we're facing, with the kind of responsibilities we have. Uh, and you would be declared bankrupt. Nobody would. Nobody would invest in it. Um, so you've got that, and then you've got the the largest deficit, which is you know, we've got this phrase in the social conservative movement: faith, family, and freedom. You know, those are the things we stand for. You know, everybody wants to come up with a nice little phrase that kind of simply describes what your priorities are. Well, on every count, Tom, we're in we're in meltdown in this country. This new study came out this week that showed that there has been a massive drop in the last 15 years of people in the United States that say religion, family, or love of country is important to them. What? I I mean, you know, we should hang up a closed for the holiday sign (laughs) until we get our act together. if that if that report is true, our problems are a lot bigger than what's happening around even Taiwan, let alone whether Putin is marching on uh, Kiev or not. I, we are in trouble. Look at the things the country is in the middle of a debate on, Tom. I mean, we've got serious people all over the country demanding that men dressed like women have the right to read 
sucks. What the hell? What is going on? We've got a medical establishment that knows what the research is, but they're making millions subjecting little kids to chemical castration, to deforming surgeries in, in the name of gender-affirming care. I mean, Tom, we have every sign in every way of a civilization that's melting right in front of our eyes. Just yesterday. So we're going to march off to a war yeah. and make great sacrifices and uh, defeat evil enemies, etc. I, I just, I, somebody's got to call a real meeting. I mean, you, you know, we both have friends that think the biggest problem of the country is entitlement reform. Um, sorry, you can entitle, entitle reform yourself uh, in, into a, uh, you know, whatever you want to take, wherever you want to head, it ain't going to save America. Now, you, you know, it's it's funny on Sunday last 60 Minutes, uh, thought they really, really had a coup. They were really going to get Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has said some outrageous things. I'm not defending her, and that's not – I'm not defending some of the statements that she made, uh, particularly, re- you know, related to Jewish space lasers, because my turn at the Jewish space lasers is coming up next week, and I don't want to miss my, 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 my shot at it, but – she was she was on 60 Minutes last week. It was obviously a setup. 60 Minutes wanted to depict her as a lunatic, raving maniac. It failed. She called. I mean, Leslie Stahl really thought she had her when she said, uh, at some point, uh, Congresswoman Green, you called Democrats the party of pedophiles. Did you really believe that? And her answer was, um, yeah, I believe it. I mean, just yesterday, this is me now, Biden pushed a new plan to permit trans athletes, i.e. males, to compete in women's sports. And the case that he built that plan on is an 11-year-old boy on puberty blockers, female hormones, and awaiting chemical castration. If that's not child abuse, not to mention pedophilia, I don't know what is. Democrats have this obsession with sex and children that's bizarre, to say the very least. It's funny, I was in the store, um, oh, three, four days ago. It was a fancy store, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit. And... I'm walking through looking for, you know, food for we, our Passover holidays this week. And I see this very well-dressed, obviously super liberal mother. Um, at the same time, she's talking on the phone about how um, uh, it's terrible what's happening to trans kids. She, at, during the same conversation, was mentioning that she doesn't buy chicken treated with hormones. So she's fine pumping an 11-year-old child with life-altering hormones but won't eat a chicken treated with hormones. I don't know if there is a better single anecdote to describe the absolute insanity of what we're doing to our kids. And the final point here before we take a break, who are these people? They're rich, white liberals, overwhelmingly. I mean, where else do people... Get this notion that you can pump your kids full of hormones, puberty blockers, chemically castrate them, give them, you know, juvenile mastectomies, and 
it's just, I don't know what to say. You mentioned a break, Tom, but oh. let me just add on to that. So, you know, if it was only, if, if the societal impact of this was just limited to them, you could say, well, uh, you know, that's, that's who they are, except, of course, the children in this are, are victims of, uh, I, and, and you know, I, I don't, lawsuits are beginning to be filed by people that went through this a number of years ago and now looking back realize that they were horribly deceived and they're suing hospitals and others for telling them that they were, um, you know, a boy trapped, trapped in a girl's body or vice versa. But it goes further than that because not only are they promoting this stuff, but they are insisting that we lie and embrace it or we will be labeled bigots and Nazis. And we are. Absolutely. We're going to we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose show and the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125 and our podcast hosted at justthenews.com. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Gary Bauer, Tom Rose with you. I'm the, uh, I'm the good-looking one. Gary is the one with the, uh, the radio voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm the disembodied voice coming over the phone. Yeah. This, is, this didn't get much media, and it's understandable when I tell you why it didn't get much media, because it's the most obscene, disgusting uh, piece of legislation that I can ever recall happening. Uh, California Senate Bill 145. Um, the California legislature passed a bill reducing penalties for oral and anal sex with willing children. This is from the San Francisco Examiner. Uh, the bill introduced by state uh, Senator Scott Weiner, obviously a Democrat, claimed that the current law, which states oral and anal sex, I can't believe we're even discussing this, between an adult and a willing minor, requires the adult to be registered as a sex offender. Well, Wiener says this discriminates against LGBTQ individuals. He says, quote, the bill will put an end to blatant discrimination against young LGBT people who engage in consensual activity. He says any opposition to this is horrific homophobia. Voting down this bill is irrational and would ruin people's lives. Now, if Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't right that the Democrat Party in these climes is the party of pedophilia, if not pederasty, then I don't know what is. We, and it passed. This bill passed. It is easier now to sexually abuse children in the state of California the penalties have been reduced. I mean, this is, uh, it's, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah would blush. 
Yeah, you know, Tom, and, and I mean, it's horrible. Uh, you know, I, I thought you were going to talk about a, another bill that became law out there. Um, this is the kind of stuff when, and, and I have, to, this is a confession, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I had people at the grassroots of uh, the movement I'm part of saying to me, you know where this is headed, Gary, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And I'm going to go, come on, you know, but let's, let's stay rational about this. You know, but there's no reason to exaggerate. We can just, you know, just point out what they're actually doing. Because when you go that extra mile, you know, making these charges, we lose credibility. Well, it is impossible to lose credibility. Everything that extremists and out of control radicals said 15 years ago, we were headed toward, we have done and we've gone beyond. And there seems to be no stopping it. You know, this, um, there was a study that came out this week, and I don't know who did it because, um, as, as I recall, it was a reputable group. But they, they were talking about the tendency toward violence among young people and uh, the radicalization of young people. And they concluded that the group in the country that was most susceptible to radicalization through rhetoric and, and so forth, and thus most susceptible to committing violence, were youth that identified as transgender. I think it was a Northwestern University study, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, well, uh, that, that, sounds, uh, that does sound like it rings a bell. Uh, well, now, of course, we had the shooting, the horrible shooting in, in Memphis. And then yesterday, there was an arrest in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, in, in which uh, a number of large Christian ministries have their headquarters, uh, like uh, Focus on the Family and uh, the James Dobson Family Institute and, and many others. There was a, an arrest of a trans uh, young person whose sister turned him in, and uh, they found in his uh, apartment uh, plans to attack schools and churches in Colorado Springs uh, to kill as many people as possible. They also found a communist manifesto. That's how local authorities described it. Um, at the same time, there, there's a young woman that went to the University of Kentucky where she was uh, a swimmer. And um, she, because she lost out in competitions to uh, male swimmers pretending to be women, uh, she refused to get over it and move on with her life. She's going around and giving speeches about why this is inherently unfair and that, in fact, women are being erased and that women are increasingly being replaced by men acting like they're women. So she was speaking at a Charlie Kirk event in the last couple of days, and I haven't read the, all the details yet, but apparently she was assaulted by a mob of of transgender whatevers who literally trapped her in a room and it took three hours to get her to safety. So Tom, we, we are in such a mess. It's getting worse by the day. 
And I just think the reason I keep bringing it up and because I, I think this is all related to what our foreign policy is going to be and what our national defense is going to be. You know, the Air Force announced this week that they're going to miss recruitment goals by 10 percent. We should be we should be going over our recruitment goals by 10 or 15 percent, given the world we're living in. So why do we keep missing? Why does every branch of the government falling short? Well, some people think it's because, you know, they don't you know, people don't want to go woke stuff that's happening in the military. I'm worried about something even deeper than that, Tom. A lot of the people that join the military come from traditional households, from people that do say a top priority is belief in God and love of country and the family. If they see that all disappearing in America, of it being marginalized, do you tell your children Son, when you grow up, I want you to join the U.S. military. We need to defend a great country like this where family, faith, and freedom are protected. And, you know, it's a no, you go stay a far, don't risk your life. I, I mean, you, for a country, for to love a country, the, the country's got to be lovely. That's, that's incredibly well said. I mean, we are. We can't even afford to bother ourselves to have children at this point. I mean, the marriage numbers are way down. If I were Xi Jinping, I would say, you know, we're investing massively in our military and that's fine and good, but we don't need to go to war with the United States because time is on our side. They're too comatose even to sue for peace. We're living in a time of unparalleled prosperity unparalleled peace, the majority of developed nations, and we lead them, have chosen, in effect, to mortgage our own futures in favor of uh, this non-sustainable entitlement state um, that requires a constantly growing population to support it. And since we're too self-centered to have kids, particularly this is the case in Europe, and certainly the case with the Biden administration, since we can't bother to have kids, we'll just open up our borders and allow millions of future Democrat voters to pour in. I, I, I mean, we have a um, uh, a situation here, a cultural situation that never before in the history of humanity has mankind experienced. We've suffered catastrophic population loss in the past due to famine, due to pestilence, due to the plague, due to war. But now we're doing it by choice. And I don't think this will surprise you. I got to get this in. There's only one country in the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is, I think, 37, 38 countries, the top ones, and they're all democracies or claim to be, um, there's only one country with an indigenous net population growth rate, and that's Israel. Very guess. I was going to say Israel, of course. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, you know, I said before you, life and death, choose life, so that you and your children may live. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and Tom, it's it is you know bringing 
bringing into the world a, a, a new generation, having children is by definition an act of faith. It's an act of courage. It's an act of optimism. It's something that happens because you believe in the future. You believe in where you live and, and you, you, you internalize it all and you think it's good and decent and you want uh, children to experience the life you're experiencing and you want your society to, to survive and prosper. All that requires uh, the, the next generation. And we're showing every sign of the exact opposite of that. So it's, I, I, you know, I wish I had an answer, but uh, I don't, um, you, you know, they're saying that, that the Republicans, uh, w- you know, the Republican party just may be getting to the point demographically where it's just almost impossible to win a national election. I don't know if it's demography so much as it is, that the type of person that votes for conservative candidates is shrinking uh, as a percentage of the total population. So, you know, married people in overwhelming percentages vote Republican. Single people of all ages overwhelmingly vote Democrat. Uh, You know, there's... If you can ask only if you were a Martian and you landed on a city street and you wanted to find out the first earthling you came into contact with was a, a Republican or a Democrat, but you could only ask one question. The one question that you, that you would ask that would be most demonstrative or most indicative of which party that we're in is how frequently do you go to worship service? Absolutely. You're so, right. Uh, I think that the left understands this, which is why they're all for them. It's there's a good political reason to keep attacking faith, family and freedom. It they works with more supporters. Exactly. Right? It works. It works. The country becomes weaker, less resolute, less united. You know, tribalism has been the scourge of civilization for 4000 years. Our great achievement, the great achievement of Judeo-Christian civilization is the notion the belief, the practice that people are bound together by creed, by belief, by values, not by the color of their skin, not by their genitalia, not by, you know, the one one thousandth of uh, their genetic DNA that is a Cherokee Indian. But the American ideal, you come here legally from wherever in the world, you accept our principles, you accept our values, you're in. That couldn't happen in France, Germany, anywhere in Africa, no country in the world except maybe Canada um, and Israel to to an extent. Is that the case? And we're undoing all of that with, with tribalism. And it's now identity politics. That's what... That's what matters. And you have in Chicago, a city that is literally dying by murder, a incompetent, horrendous mayor defeated six, eight weeks ago and now replaced by somebody worse. This voters of Chicago in the midst of this crime wave, 21 children murdered already this year by gunfire they vote for a mayoral candidate who promises fewer police. 
Yeah, Tom, I mean, that was um, that was really a depressing result. Now, there wasn't going to be a Republican elected no matter what. Right. Uh, you had two Democrats. Um, and you know, as you point out, the, the one candidate was backed by the police unions and the other candidate was backed by the teacher unions. And, uh, uh, you know, guess guess which candidate won. Right. The one that supported by the teacher unions. Uh, the Chicago schools are doing a terrible job, by the way, educating. Ugh. So you certainly want to pick the candidate that the teacher unions thinks is the best candidate for the job. Uh, no, it's it's um, it's very demoralizing to see what's happening. And, and any chance that there were signs out there that the Democrat Party was going to you know, slowly but surely move back to the party that you and uh, certainly I grew up seeing and, you know, you're, you're younger than I did, but even in your youth, Tom, the Democrat party wasn't, wasn't like this. I mean, this is, you know, the, the Democrat party has just been taken over, hijacked uh, long by left-wing fanatics that control all the levers of power. And now they've become normalized. I've been reading a couple of books recently. I'm reading right now, William Sh- uh, Shira. I can't, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah. The classic Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Was that and, about the fifth time you've read that? <laughs> it's, it is the third. You're right. It is the yeah. third. And I am absolutely gobsmacked again, but with more resolution than before, that the America of today is the spooky, eerie, mirror image of Weimar Germany. This is the... German Republic that followed Germany's defeat in the First World War that led inexorably to the rise of Adolf Hitler. It was the most liberal constitution in the world at that time. It was um, a totally almost outrageously free country, so to speak, except for two things, except for the courts and except for academia. Whereas it today... You can riot and burn and loot and steal, saying you're with Antifa and you get off, where if you're a conservative, you're uh, faced with uh, four years in solitary confinement for walking through an open door and parading in the capital. In Weimar Germany, it was exactly the opposite. The courts were totally uh, exonerating of the right and viciously uh, repressive of the left. As a result, what began as a very fringe movement, like, and the comparison would be, I guess, the transgender movement or some nonsense uh, group here that is completely thought two, three, four years ago as nuts. And this was the Nazi party and other far right nationalist parties thought of as nuts. They win, you know, less than 1% of the vote. But over time, they inexorably become more and more mainstream. And that's what's happened with the Democrat far left. This kind of nonsense that boys can be girls and girls are boys and there's 52 genders. It was laughable three, four years ago. 
Now it's become mainstream. And we know that our judicial system, God knows we have evidence that our judicial system is totally stacked. It isn't a question of uh, following the legal niceties of the Trump case. This isn't about a dual application of the law. It's no law whatsoever. Because when you have two systems of justice, you have no justice. I'm going to have to reread the book, Tom. I, uh, I've read it a couple of times, too, but it's been a while. But one of the things I remember, and I, I think what's emphasized in this book, that the other thing that was happening during those years the, of the Weimar Republic is that uh, particularly in Berlin, uh, there was a complete breakdown of moral standards. Uh, the city was riddled with clubs in which there were live sex acts and people in the audience were invited out of the audience to come on the stage and join the fun. Uh, I won't even describe some of the uh, acts that were most popular that people lined up for hours to get into. And of course, outside of places like cosmopolitan Berlin uh, in the in the German countryside, uh, people heard about all this and saw the reports and were mortified. It's something to be done. So it's, all of that as bad as joined together, right? As bad as licentiousness was in Weimar Germany in the in the cities. You're absolutely right. As bad as it was, and it was horrendous. Gay shows and my God, they had drag queens. It's worse here now. It's worse here now. It stunned the world 90 years ago that homosexuality was celebrated in Weimar, Germany. And today, that's the world we live in. Yeah, it, it, it is, Tom. And look, uh, you know, national, uh, you, you refer to the right, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm one of those uh, nuts that you know refuse to say we're a democracy, we're a constitutional republic, and I refuse to call the uh, Nazis the right. They were national socialists. That's but right. That, you know they're generally considered to be on the right. I, I, you and I both understand that. But, but, it, but the point I was making was they were national socialists. Yep, absolutely. And and uh, and and they were oddly supported by the big business at the time. Uh, I mean, the the you know the corporate leaders worked with the Nazis, and they had a, a nice little gig going there. I, I bring it up, Tom, because uh, it, it is almost every day now where you see some uh, iconic American corporation um, completely caving in to the most bizarre things going on in the popular culture. In what world does Budweiser Light think coming out with a commemorative can for this dope, this, this, I don't even know what to, how to describe it. What's his name? Dylan something or other? Oh, yes. Dylan. I, you know what? I don't even want to mention his name. Yeah. I, I mean, but he, he is a mockery. He is a, a living, breathing mockery of women. This is not, this has got nothing to do with women's rights or trade. This guy is getting wealthy by mocking women. He's doing things that if you or I did it in a speech when we were talking about a woman politician or 
a woman statesman, if we started acting the way he does, presumably acting the way he thinks women act, we we would never be able to take a microphone again. And then you've got Budweiser Light coming out going, yeah. We, you know, we want to identify with all parts of American society. Oh, it's it's I, terrible. We're we're um, I mean, and then Travis Tritt, to his credit, has announced that uh, yeah. he's either he's resigning as a spokesman for. I mean, they've got a lot of good beer brands. Um, I hate to admit it, but I never knew Stella Artois. The I thought it was a Belgian beer was uh, Anheuser-Busch, but um, it's Passover, so I can't drink it this week anyway. We're out of time, Bauer. Let me take this time to wish you and Bauer Nation a blessed, meaningful, inspirational, and redemptive Easter. Uh, what a wonderful thing, Tom, and, and uh, a joyous Passover for you and yours, and um and may the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Jesus somehow save America from this mess. Amen. Amen. God bless you and God bless all of you out there in podcast and radio land. Bauer and Rose signing off. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.